Stay informed and ahead of the game. The Radio Tab Breakfast Show. Monday morning, always finish out the show with the Courier Mail's Chief Sports Writer and Robert Crash Craddock. And Crash is with us now. Crash, good morning. Good morning, Paul and Jared. And the World Cup fever is just about to, to hit town today with a Australia playing a T20 warm-up match against uh, India at the Gabba. Two o'clock. I think people should get out there and have a look. So the lineup will it be the lineup? No, I don't think it will, Jared. I think there'll be some people resting, but significantly, I think Mitchell Marsh might have a bowl, which he hasn't been doing. I think right. Ashton Agar, who's had a side strain, he could come back. But uh, there's some nice games in Brisbane today. That match will be followed by England versus Pakistan at the Gabba. And if you're floating around the northern suburbs today, pop into Allen Borderfield where you'll see New Zealand versus South Africa and then Afghanistan versus Bangladesh. I mean, you know, it's not too often mm. you, you get that sort of calibre where you can just walk in off the street. I think it's wonderful chance for Brisbane people to just get a watch a bit of quality cricket early in the season. And Crash. you can get to both venues. Easily. Yes, I'm, I'm going to go to the Gabba, uh, probably stay there, because I like... Uh, I just got the feeling tonight something interesting is going to happen, England versus Pakistan, and, of course, the Australia-India game will be... India, wherever they go, they just get a following. It's wonderful. Crash, uh, yeah, judging by what we've seen so far from the Australian team, it looks as though there's just going to be one change from the team that played in last year's T20 World Cup and that will be Tim David coming in to bat at six, the other batsman moving up one, and Steve Smith's going to be the guy that misses out. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I spoke to Alan Border the other day, and he said, he said, I, I, some things in cricket make me shake my head, and he said, to think that Steve Smith, arguably the best batsman of the generation, could miss out to a guy who may never play a first-class match. Of course, Tim David, Singapore-born, raised in Perth, couldn't fell out the bottom of that system, but became this power hitter who found a 2020 niche, came through, played for Singapore, and now for Australia, but has never played a game of first-class cricket, like a Sheffield Shield game or anything, and he will unseat Steve Smith. That that will happen. They want that biff and bash and crunch that David's got. He's a big fellow with... Uh, I walked past him, saw him live for the first time at the Gabba after the training session yesterday, and just walking past him down the corridor, the first thing that hits you is... He's big and he's strong and, and, and like, it, it's a commanding presence he has. And uh, th- is there a place for Steve Smith? I think there is towards the back end of the tournament because I've had a theory for 20 years and it's and it's been endorsed World Cup after World Cup is that heavy-duty players win World Cups. You know, that you walk out at the MCG in a final and you're two for 20 chasing 148... I'm very comfortable with Stephen Smith walking out because he, 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 he laps it up, you know. So I know you have to have your flash, he- Harry, so I get it, but just one steady Eddie in there. So I haven't given up hope on him, not yet, but he will not start the tournament. Now, what about your underrated and overrated from the weekend of sport? Well, the first underrated just came bursting through the news-wise with Fred Couples shooting three below his age. As you said, Paul, it's extraordinary. I mean, a 63-year-old Fred Couples, the former Masters champion, scoring 60 to win the Seniors Championship, uh, Seniors event in, in the United States this morning. 
I just thought that was damn bustingly remarkable. He, I mean, he won by six shots from Steve Orker, who's in outrageous form himself. But to finish with seven birdies, and the course was easy, but it was no pushover. I mean, for good seven birdies at age 63? And I'll just say this. Shooting your age is such an underrated thing. Donald Bradman used to do it. When he was about 85, he'd occasionally um, shoot 82. When he was about 82, he'd just occasionally have a late 70s round. But there's never any stage of your life where it looks easy, particularly where couples is. You just do not get 63-year-olds shooting 60. So he's one underrated. And just quickly, uh, for a couple of the others... Uh, Ned Brockman, the Sydney tradie who ran across Australia for charity. He gets into Bondi. He started at Cottesloe Beach in Perth 44 days ago. And he's run across the country 4,000 kilometres, 100 kilometres a day, and finishes tonight. That's just staggering. I mean, I, 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 how's he in one? We had him on the back page in Fox Sports before he left. And I thought, this kid's just going to perish. Well, he hasn't. He finishes tonight. It's extraordinary. Oh, I've seen him a few times, Crash. He's a very impressive young man, isn't he? Oh, well, he, he just was touched by the plight of homeless people in Sydney and said, I can do something. So he, 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 to, to run 100 kilometres a day over 44 days is just, you know, it, it's beyond description. Oh, we had him on the back page before he left and we're having him on tomorrow night. And... It will be a sharp physical difference. I think if we show the photos of him before and after, he is an older man now, and that's in the space of a month and a half. But to, to raise, I think he's got $1.3 million for the homeless in Sydney, a young tradie. I mean, I, I'm going to say to him tomorrow night on the show, mate, you are arguably the most impressive guest we've ever had on this show. And, and the show. And it's been going for, you know, it's a... You know, I only go back 15 years with the show. It's been going 25. But what he has done is extraordinary. He's the guy that ran... Did he run 50 marathons yeah, in something 50 days? Yeah, he did. It was something like 50 marathons in 50 days and yeah. worked as well. I, I, I'm not sure we've seen a physical specimen like him, Jared. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, this current run is the equivalent just of, of uh, Brisbane to Sydney and back twice because <laughs> that's a thousand kilometers brisbane to sydney's a thousand come back for a thousand down again for a thousand back for a thousand try doing that oh it, it's so i can't even get better page live tomorrow night absolutely yeah we've night. got him on mm, be watching that. sensational and what else have you got for crash in overrated uh, underrated also kari webb i spoke to her at the hall of fame induct inductation um, last week, and I just love her calmness, and she spoke about the Live Golf, and she fears that it could, if they start a Live Golf tournament, it could, in in the women's circuit, it could disrupt everything they've been trying to build for 72 years. And I never heard hatred in her voice or anything like that. I mean, Greg Norman was her childhood hero, and and she was, so she's, but she's very balanced and very fair, but she just fears for it. And I just thought, she spoke so eloquently, and I, I, there's nothing in it for her. I mean, she spends her life in America. When good young Australian golfers come through, they go and stay with Kari over there. She looks after them. She tries to make the transition to, to American golf easy for them. So I think she's underrated and overrated. I just feel that Live Golf's 
push, Greg Norman's push for Live Golf to gain world ranking points is a, a, a bit outlandish, really. If they're only going to play three rounds, 54 holes instead of 72, it's like sort of a rebel band starting a test outfit which plays four-day tests and said, why aren't we on the test ranking scales? You know, it's just, I, I can't get to it, I'm sorry. Crash, I think you're right. They can do an awful lot of things, you know, have shotgun starts, wear short pants, have rock music playing in the background. But unless you play four rounds of golf, I don't think the World Rankings Committee will come to the party. Well, it, it's like, well, right here, right now, today, we're seeing T20, 20-over warm-up games for the World Cup. It's like starting a rebel competition that's a 10-over competition saying, can we get in your T20 World Cup or, or be rated in that system? No, no, it's a different format. I'm sorry. Mm. Crash, so, just on those World Cup warm-up games, we met Norm, who works for Cricket Australia and Queensland Cricket. He was putting up some temporary fencing around Allen Borderfield for the week on the, on the, the weekend. And he said some of these games were going to be closed out to the public. And Dimmy has just sent this through, so you might want to catch up on this. Dimmy is of the opinion that Alan Borderfield and the Gabba are not open to the public today. Oh, OK. Oh, well, I'll, I'll just check that. Actually, I'll, uh, I, I was not aware of that I, uh, because I just sort of thought that... Uh, it's certainly, I'm going as a pressman, so I, yes, I take all that back then because uh, I just thought it'd be a, a good chance. But actually, that does ring a bell, Paul, and... Um, uh, I, I, uh, That's a bit you know, it, it's, it? uh, yes, yes, I think you might be right, actually. So I take that back. A bit strange they're doing it. Now, while we're talking cricket, how good was Namibia yesterday beating Sri Lanka? Well, it's fantastic. It's just the start the competition needed, mate, because they are the sort of league that, uh, they do everything tough in Namibia. They've only got nine cricket grounds over there. They've got, uh, they rely on a lot of South African players who were born in Namibia, educated in South Africa, returned home to Namibia, and then away they go. So uh, they haven't got the funds that other nations have got, but they've got a lovely coaching staff of South African coaches, including the Morkel brothers, Mornay Morkel and uh, also Albie Morkel, who have put a certain flinty hardness in them. And they were so professional yesterday. They hit a line, they hit a length. They uh, were really terrific. So I, I just, there was no sense that they were unlucky. They destroyed South, uh, Sri Lanka yesterday. They outbowled them. They outbatted them. And in the field, they caught everything. So, look, it's a slow fuse start to the World Cup, isn't it? Because it's, um, you know, you're starting with a preliminary tournament featuring nations like the UAE, the Netherlands, Scotland, mixed in with the West Indies and Sri Lanka. But I still like it. I still like the fact that all these nations get to feel part of the World Cup. And then, of course, comes Australia and New Zealand in Sydney on Saturday. Bang. And then, of course, the big one, India and Australia at the MCG, which sold out in record time. So it'll go kapow on the weekend, but it's just struggling now. There's been a lot of talk about the Australian side over the last couple of months, really, but I guess the... The two players that have had the blowtorch uh, put on them, Aaron Finch and Glenn Maxwell, what do you think will happen to them this week? Well, I think that Aaron Finch is faces a trial against so many of the left armers that have kind of come into the World Cup, like Trent Bolt for New Zealand on Saturday, first over. 
wow, you know, he, he's such a pinpoint bowler. He's so hard to get away. He'll get that one running across him and then that one running into him. And, I mean, that's a... It's so hard. I think Finch's attitude's got to be go hard or go home. Mm. And that by that, Jared, I mean this. There's no point plodding around for 20 balls and scoring 20 runs. On paper, that looks all right, but it gets you nowhere. He'd be much better off trying to hit um, 25 off 15, something like that. So... And, and, or getting, like he did the other night, a first ball duck. But, but if you go, go down swinging, have a crack and then get out of the way of it. Crash, uh, we've seen the Rugby League World Cup kick off, but closer to home, there's dramas with Manly. And I think a lot of Rugby League fans were taken by surprise to learn that Anthony Seabold was the, uh, the man elect to take over from Desi there at Brookvale when he left the, the Broncos. It was a, such a sham schmozzle. It appeared, to me at least, that he wouldn't get a head coaching job again in the NRL, but looks as though he's off to Brookie. Yeah, well, you're right. Uh, I was stunned by it too, I have to say. He lives down there at Manly, um, and it just it, it says a few things, Paul, doesn't it? It says how shallow the coaching talent pool is. And there's two Anthony Seabold careers. There's the career at South Sydney where he shone with them and uh, took them to a prelim final, and, and, and he really did a good job with an experienced team. Then he came to Brisbane and was a disaster for two seasons, made the finals the first, and then had the worst season the Broncos have ever had and was sacked before the end of it. Now, clearly he lost the players. If you said, can he make it at Manly, the only way for me that he can, and, and maybe he can, is his game plans have got to be less complex. I, I know people have said, oh, Anthony was the victim of COVID uh, up here and he, he had to coach by remote and it was a difficult time. All of that was true, 100%. He was away from his family. They had different pressures. All of that was 100% true. He had the old boys against him because he got the job ahead of Kevin Walters. But, but, but... It doesn't change the fact that complex game plans brought the system down, you know. Players just couldn't quite connect with, you know, he's, he's Harvard University educated, he's a bright guy, we all get it. But you've just got to keep things simple. That's been Wayne Bennett's mantra for 40 years. Just, just give players really basic game plans. And I actually reckon the game's getting more basic, not less basic. So that's what that it, before he does everything else. And there's so much relationship building to be done at Manly, Jerry, isn't there? But what a club yeah, to go is. to! I mean, there is. just the fact they've had seven chief executives in eight years. What does that tell you? Seven guys walk through the front door with big dreams, and, and for whatever reasons, they just raise their hands and said, "I can't do it." Yeah, look, um, and clearly some sections of the media have got some inside knowledge or being fed information that uh, ends up coming to fruition. So it does look like Anthony Seabolt gets the job. But the other one from left field that uh, that was interesting over the weekend was Eddie Jones might be his assistant. Yeah, it, it is. And I actually don't mind this because remember Alan Jones, <laughs> Coach Belmain, back in the 1980s, That's that right. you, you see coaches in other sports who could ha add so much in an assistant capacity. I mean, 
Jones loves rugby league. That's the first thing. He loves the sport. And he's always secretly harboured a desire that someone would ask him to coach league. But, you know, just stuff like uh, conditioning players, when to ease off, the mental side of the game, uh, looking into, you know, diets, looking into... Uh, strategies, bonding, everything. There's so much away from the game apart from tactics. And he's a smart cookie, Jones. I, I just think, um, you know, he brings, you know, character. He brings headlines. He brings everything. So, gee, and particularly as an assistant, when the pressure's not on him, I think he could be... I love that thought. Do you, Paul? You're a rugby man. You know what? He, he was so very good with Jake White when South Africa won the the Rugby World Cup, and he was uh, sort of a behind-the-scenes man. He didn't have to do the press conferences, but White always credited him with so much that went on behind the scenes. He would love to coach South Sydney. He's actually made that pretty clear. that That's where he'd love to coach as a head coach because he's a great watcher of rugby league. He watches just about every NRL game, and he takes so much from rugby league what he sees and applies it to rugby union. And quite obviously, he and Seabold get on quite well because Seabold... As Brent Reid told us this morning, is currently in England to be uh, in camp with with the England rugby team, with with Eddie Jones here. So I think it could work, and I think he could he, he would offer something some, something for productive for Manly and, and Anthony Seabold. Oh yeah, I mean, and I just get the impression too, Eddie's next career move could end up anywhere. He's had eight years with the England rugby team. He's proven his point. Uh, you know, he, he's shone with them. He's, <laughs> he's hard edged, Paul, isn't he? You see him in press conferences and, uh, with some of the English press, he goes, mate, that's about the, you know, he's got that real Aussie twang. Yeah. Mate, that's about the fourth time you've asked me that over the years. Don't, weren't you listening the other times? Like, he's really hard edged. But the one, what I love about Eddie Jones's contribution to rugby is he stirs the pot. He gets things moving. He gets headlines. Like, when they were playing Australia, uh, you know, recently, he was the one getting all the publicity. You know, he was he was sort of saying things and, and being out there and being vocal. I mean, he's such a precious asset for that code. I always feel they undervalue just the Jones. Oh, call it the Jones aura. Yeah, yeah. Funny that he used to bag Michael Checker relentlessly when they were coaching each other, yet... Australian story last week. Eddie Jones was on there talking up Michael Checker and what a great bloke he was and what a great job he's done. Yeah. Well, they go back all, all the way virtually to club footy, don't they? And, and I think they were good mates, but he was in, he lived inside Checker's head a bit, didn't he? Yeah. At, uh, at international level. When Michael Checker was the international coach of the year, you know, Eddie the next year would say, well, it's always hard up against the world's best coach, you know? And you could just tell it was just this little flickering. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was great. Crash, you, you mentioned Michael Checker there and Eddie Jones to Manly. It didn't really create too many ripples when that came out yesterday. The days are gone of, uh, or are the days gone of just a person coaching a code because you played it? Uh, it's a bit more diversified now. It's, it's sort of like men or, or female management as opposed to actually being a hard-nosed coach. Oh, a- absolutely. A- and, do you know... Like, I, I uh, when, I, when I listen to Daisy Pierce commentate on the AFL, and I know she's just done, uh, made little small, uh, attachments to, to the men's game and, and, uh, in, in a coaching sense, but I, I think a, someone like that could 
be involved at a really major level of coaching in the AFL. I mean, and all the guys respect her. And I've heard AFL players say her analysis is as good as anyone. So mm. why should she, you know, be judged any differently to a male? So the world is changing, Jared. You're right. Crash, we've only got... Just on there, uh, a friend of mine, pretty deep into AFL, he says she will be the first AFL female coach, Daisy Pierce. Yep, yep. And, and, and not only that, but uh, great temperament, respected by, throughout the sporting world, Ash Barty invited her up to a house to do a podcast. You know, she just, Ash just thinks she's terrific. Crash, you've only got two minutes left in the show, so just a final one about an article you've written this morning about uh, privately owned franchises in T20 cricket. It seems as though things have not gone well for the South African competition that starts in January. Six teams, all owned by IPL franchises, but there was no money coming from India for TV rights. Oh, they put everything into it. They they sold all the franchises to Indian uh, Indian interests, the IPL teams, in the new South African competition. They said, oh, watch us get the big deal from India. And then when the deadline expired for bidding for TV rights last Wednesday, there was no bid from India. So they can't work out what these four or five Indian networks are doing. Did they overprice it? But it's a real blow. And it just shows that you've just got to be careful with private ownership. You know, it, it takes you out and these, leaves you on the end of branches where you could easily tumble to the ground head first. So that's one of the things the Big Bash must consider. It needs money. It probably does need private ownership. It needs a bigger money for the players. But as soon as you go down that road, you lose control and your competition is never quite the same again. Always a pleasure, Crash. Uh, um, don't go walking around the Gabba aimlessly today, just in case you better check that out first that you can get in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I just think this World Cup will be great. And that MCG next week will be... Uh, fantastic i reckon so when india play pakistan two countries in just stop nothing greg chapel once said it's the ashes by a multiple of 100 thought goodness me that's a pressure cooker right there paul thanks mate